If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Yep, you better believe it. It is there's no, it's Friday, the 12th of January, 2024. An awful lot going on in the world. Just before the show started, we were having a little bit of banter in our uh, waiting room. And of course, there's another war pretty much breaking out uh, between uh, the UK, uh, US and Yemen. We're going to be covering that through the course of the day with both uh, Gemma Cooper and also Basil Valentine, who's going to be joining me in the second hour for Locked and Loaded. Uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, of course, we hope it's nice. You're very welcome to Open Line on TNT at the end of this show probably the last five or ten minutes the lines will be open you'll have a chance to give us a call tell us what you think about our content or anything that's on your mind and of course we've plenty to cram in between now and then we have uh, Nancy Lukes joining us here this morning also Hard Cox who is a London Lord Merrill candidate and uh, Ben from Chasing Descent will also be popping in hopefully uh, to give us his take on what's happening in the UK that's all to come Natalie uh, an awful lot happening as I'm trying to uh, brief it down as much as I can here, uh, Leo Varadkar, our little friend over in Ireland here, he said no refugees will be sent back to Ukraine until the war with Russia is over. And that's a fair point. He's saying he's not sending them home, but there's many of them voluntarily returning home to visit their relatives and spend some time with the family at Christmas. They don't need to be sent home. They're going home of their own accord and then returning again. What's all that about? Yeah, it's, it's such a dangerous war zone that they can just jolly back off, uh, spend some time with their family and come back. Uh, so I, I'm not uh, trivialising it at all. There obviously is areas that are very, very badly affected, but it isn't the whole of Ukraine. And I do believe some of them are taking advantage of the system that Ireland is offering. Oh, yeah. Kick, they, they say in Ireland here, kicking the arse out of it. They're kicking the arse out of the system here in Ireland. And you know what? Who are they going home to see? You know, these are these are men who are they going home to see their vulnerable elderly mothers and fathers, their 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 wives, maybe their children that they've abandoned there while they flee over to Ireland on the back of the economic pig pigs back. I don't know what they're doing, but even uh, just before Christmas, the Irish government sent a memo out to say, listen, if you go back home again, you have to let us know and you can only go home for so long before you have to come back to your state sponsored accommodation. Otherwise, you're going to be booted out of it. So vacationing back in a war torn area. I would have thought was highly sus, but hey, that's uh, that's Ireland for you. Another little story actually coming out of Ireland before uh, we talk to Gemma. Uh, low vaccination rates uh, against the latest versions of COVID-19 <laughs> and influenza are putting pressure on the healthcare system this winter, leading uh, public officials, health officials have said. So, you know, health system, it's winter, it's under pressure. They're moaning and groaning about it. Now they're blaming uh, the general unwashed public because they say not enough people are queuing up, rolling up their sleeves and taking their flu and COVID shots. They're the they're the problem, Natalie. It's you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Not the health service. Not the people jabbing people. It's us. You're the. Well, it's problem. always awful. How do you feel about, about being the problem, not the solution? 
I'm, I'm the granny killer again, aren't I? Because I mm. haven't gone and got that jab. I, I'm destroying the UK. Um, I, oh, to add to this, I just wanted to say that I had a text message yesterday. This I couldn't believe. They are pushing jabs left, right and centre. So uh, my youngest son didn't have any vaccinations because my eldest uh, had a reaction to his MMR. And I got a text message and I haven't received anything about it to say that my son, who's nearly finished secondary school, needs to come for his MMR jab because he never had it. So we're, you know, um, we're talking over 10 years ago, way over 10 years ago, and they're now sending out text messages as a reminder. Well, I think the fact that he's nearly finished secondary school, I think he'll be okay now, don't you think, Rick? Rather than I rushing out to get that MMR. Yeah, and plus his chances of survival if he gets COVID <laughs> in inverted commas is 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
permission and then putting it to a vote effectively for MPs. Um, just before we get to that, I mean, it, not only is he to echoes of Tony Blair taking us into the Middle East where nobody kind of particularly wanted it, um, he's also now off in Ukraine, meeting Zelensky today to announce that over the next financial year, he will be giving Ukraine a 2.5 billion uh, further support for their military campaign against Russia. That's 2.5 billion, 2.5 billion of our money, Rick and Natalie. Uh, and again, we, we didn't particularly ask for our money to be spent in that way. So he's all guns blazing today, old Rishi, steaming into Ukraine, giving our money away and steaming into the Middle East in a joint operation with uh, Joe Biden. Um, we have seen a few images coming out of the, the Middle East now. US Central Command have issued a few. But what's interesting is the reaction it's generated on social media. Not long after this campaign began, hashtag World War Three began trending. And now what's trending, unsurprisingly, in the UK definitely is not in my name. Uh, people saying that Rishi Sunak is acting like Tony Blair, taking us into the Middle East without parliamentary scrutiny. And there are some lovely quotes here, which I think are worth reflecting, uh, because this is where kind of the real news of the people, as it were, views, views of the people uh, get expressed on X. So an unelected UK prime minister and an unelected foreign secretary have taken it upon themselves to bomb a Middle Eastern country. Um, we have uh, another quote here. Indiscriminate bombing of Yemen is not the answer to the problems of the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. And I think this is very pertinent, this quote. It's 21 years since Tony Blair took us into Iraq. Have we learned F all, because we've now got Rishi Sunak taking us into the Middle East. Uh, there are calls from Labour backbenchers and Scottish MPs that Parliament should be recalled today. Uh, why wasn't this put to a, a vote? It should have got approval. And the junior defence minister has come out, James Heapy, has said this morning, uh, he's defending the PM's decision to go in without telling anybody effectively. He said, uh, Rishi Sunak has to make these decisions based on operational requirements. That's what led to the timing of this military strike. He said, Parliament is not scheduled to speak today. We will have the opportunity when Parliament reconvenes convenes, i.e. Monday, for debate and discussion. So they're basically saying, tough luck, we've gone in, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but I do think it's echoes of 2003 all over again. Uh, the, the hashtag trending is not in my name. So many people have disagreed with the way Rishi Sunak has done this, um, this joint military campaign with the American administration. It's not achieved anything. They've done it to stop the Houthis uh, attacking container ships and cargo ships in the Red Sea. The Houthis, if anything, it's strengthened their resolve. They've said that uh, this attack overnight will not go unpunished. And it's also led to an increase in the jump of uh, the price of crude oil, which means the knock-on effect will be passed straight down to the consumer as more and more ships are now likely to be diverted away from the Red Sea. Um, I think if you're a shipping business, you, there's no way you want to risk it now. So most shipping will have to come via the coast of South Africa around the Cape of Good Hope up to the, the West, which will add 10 days onto the normal shipping time. So that's where we stand now. Rishi Sunak coming in for a lot of criticism, uh, unsurprisingly, from backbenchers. Keir Starmer has backed Rishi. No surprise there. He slapped down his own backbenches and said, no, I fully support the Prime Minister. It's an act of self-defence. That's quite a difficult one for the UK to kind of uh, <laughs> assert, really. Self-defence. Nobody's really come after the UK yet, but apparently now we're, we're acting in self-defence. There you go. This word self-defence, Natalie's bandied about an awful lot this year, or this year and last year to justify, uh, you know, a lot of horrific acts in the name of self-defence. Gemma made the statement, uh, an unelected British Prime Minister and an unelected British Foreign Secretary have just taken it upon themselves to launch an attack on Yemen. What, what, what do you have to do? Why, why don't we just call, start calling for strikes because we're as qualified and as elected as bloody Rishi Sunak and David Cameron? 
Yeah, um, at, the, at this point, they're not speaking for the British people. Uh, that there's been, they haven't gone to Parliament either. I've got a quote here from Jeremy Corbyn. He's very polarizing, love him or hate him. He said military action in Yemen by the UK and US government is a reckless act of escalation that will only cause more death and suffering. It is utterly disgraceful that Parliament has not been consulted. When will we learn from our mistakes and realize that war is not the answer? And I tend to, <laughs> well, I actually do agree with everything he said there. I've seen some other people saying Biden's bombing Yemen so Israel can keep bombing Gaza, uh, UK and the US are enabling genocide because uh, they've not caused any casualties, but they are stopping the trade route for Israel uh, actually getting getting the equipment and everything that's needed. So is this just uh, another way to carry on supporting the Israel war as well? Yeah, Gemma, well, just as we wrap this one up, you and I have talked, and Natalie as well, we've talked over the last week or so about these escalating attacks in the Red Sea with the Houthis. We've talked about diverting uh, ships around uh, the bottom of Africa. We've talked about the spot prices of containers going up. We've talked about Iran maybe be pulling into a war with America. It looks like it is all converging onto a point here. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks, a tragic few weeks, no doubt, because uh, when something like this happens, Happens, it very often de-escalates very, very slowly, if at all. And I think because it's a massive election year this year in the UK and also in America with Biden and Sunak and co very likely to lose at the polls, I think a war could be, uh, you know, something that they're glad to see because it diverts attention away and possibly postpones an election very briefly. What do you think, Gemma? I think that's a very, very, very good point. All politicians in times of struggle and strife say what we need is a good war. And that, that's that's a parliamentary kind of political fact. You know, what we need is a good war to galvanise and, and, and polarise, take attention away from other issues that might need scrutiny. Uh, yeah, all of that is, is a definite um, uh, consideration. Uh, but, but the fact is that uh, Rishi basically snuck this in overnight under the radar. Parliament didn't know. Um, there will be the question of like, is, is, that is that legal? I'm sure it obviously, well, you would like to think it is, but Tony Blair took us into an illegal war with Iraq he lied to Parliament and said there was a precedent for doing it, and there wasn't. And we went into the Middle East. This has got all those parallels all over it, which is what's been echoed on social media with some very, very pertinent and, and astute comments, I have to say. But we have to remember with this war, it's a point I made earlier with Dean, is that this is what we're being told, and this is the package that's being sold to us. The real reality of what, what this is, who knows? I mean, everybody says about the Houthis being funded by Iran. Are they? We all know about the rumors about the CIA and ISIS. So, you know, the real truth of this and what we're being shown in the images and the, and the information that the governments are telling us, well, who really knows? We can only report here on TNT the facts as they come out, give our own individual slant on it. And one thing's for certain, guys, this story ain't going away. I got a feeling I'm going to be talking about this on Monday. I think you're right, and probably in the next hour as well and throughout the course of today and over the weekend too, because that's what we do here today's News Talk. We bring the news today and we talk about it. Massive thanks uh, to you, Gemma. We've got to cut to a little break. Uh, we've got some guests lined up, so please, listener, listeners, don't go away. We shall be right back here on TNT, today's News Talk. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to 
guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Welcome back. And don't forget, you can phone in at the end of the show. Welcome to the show now as well. Professor Nancy Laux, OBE. She is Chief Executive of Families Outside. Uh, They are a Scottish voluntary organisation which works on behalf of families affected by imprisonment. She was also an independent criminologist and co-chair of the Independent Reviews into Deaths in Prison Custody. Currently, there are a three a week fatal accident inquiry going on into the investigations of a 21 and 16 year old suicide in a young offenders institute in Scotland. The families want crown immunity to be lifted so the Scottish prison service can be held accountable. Nancy, welcome to the show. Do you think that it would be a positive move for the prison service uh, to be held more responsible for inmates welfare and mental health? First, before we start, may I just make sure that I express my deepest sympathies for the families who are going through this. They've been carrying it for five years and they're having to relive that at the moment. So I think we just need to remember this is about bereavement and not about offending. Yes. Um, in terms of Crown immunity, I think that we are needing to look for at anything that would provide um, prevention of future deaths, anything that provides some sort of accountability and responsibility to take on any recommendations that might come from a fatal accident inquiry and ideally the recommendations that come from any internal reviews as well. Yeah, thank you. And uh, in a news article by STV, it states that prisoners are now twice as likely to die in prison in 2022 as someone in 2008. What do you think's gone wrong? Um, well, that's what fatal accident inquiries are designed to explore and yeah. to understand. Um, the review that I took part in was concerned that these inquiries were taking too long. Um, and in 85% of cases, the same research that you just quoted there also quoted that um, in 85% of fatal accident inquiries, no recommendations are made at all. Um, so we need to look at what is it that's going to create change? What is it that's going to understand the patterns, if there are patterns of deaths, if there are reasons behind these, in order to, to stop that from happening? And one of the main recommendations from the review was to explore and understand the prevention of, of deaths, because we're just not doing it. 
yeah and and, and within that review uh did you come to any conclusion as as to what there should be in terms of prevention or recommendations Yes, there were um, quite a number of recommendations. There were 14 main recommendations within the review, as well as a number of advisory points. Uh, the key recommendation for that was to um, have a, a holistic investigation of uh, the reasons behind the death, looking at um, the, the, the prison side of things, the health side of things, the family side of things, but keeping families at the centre of that. Because at the moment, families, um, when someone goes to prison and there's a death in custody, families are very much sidelined. They're not included in the process. Um, and they can wait for years, as we've seen in, in the case this week, to get any kind of answers, any kind of closure. Um, and some families aren't involved. Most families don't have any legal representation. It's very unusual for families to be represented as they are in, in the inquiry this week. Um, most families don't have that at all. And is that part of what your organisation can offer, the charity? Can, that, can it help families uh, that have been bereaved? We, we do help families. We don't provide legal support, um, we, but we do provide that emotional support. We help them navigate through a very complex system that can take a, a, an incredibly long time, um, as we've seen, to, to progress. Um, try to help families find the answers that they desperately need. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Um, yeah, very, very sad, uh, two sad stories uh, from Scotland. Have you got anything that you wanted uh, to ask Nancy? Yeah, Nancy, there's uh, obviously an awful lot of um, attention is given to the NHS, for example, about, uh, you know, there's a lack of funding within the NHS, uh, not adequate management there, there's not enough hospital beds, there aren't enough, uh, there isn't enough investment in the infrastructure in the NHS, and as a result of that, uh, people are suffering uh, on waiting lists, they're dying prematurely, or one thing and another. If we turn that same principle to uh, the prison system in the UK and also uh, over in Ireland here, I, I know a little bit about it here in Ireland, uh, would it be right to say that uh, the funding levels, the infrastructure there, the expansion, the overcrowding in prisons isn't getting any better here in the UK at the minute? And these could also be possible contributory factors to uh, tragic events like this happening in uh, protective custody. Yeah, certainly overcrowding is a, is a huge part of that because the prison staff simply don't have the capacity to support people who are often very vulnerable when they arrive in, in prison, particularly with mental Ill health and so on. And we're seeing that increasing as the prison population increases. Um, the best way to support people in this sort of situation is to keep them out of prison and provide support in the community where possible. But as you're saying, we're also seeing not so much lack of, of funding, but lack of um, uh, capacity for staff because their vacancies and quite a high number of vacancies and uh, providing health support in prisons is often not the first place people want to work when they work for the NHS. Um, so we do see high levels of of, of vacancies in, in crucial uh, support, particularly in mental health and, and substance misuse. And with, I was going to say, with with um, uh, an, uh, with someone that's being admitted to the prison system, if they do actually have mental health issues or they have been diagnosed with mental health issues, uh, in Northern Ireland in particular, there was one prison called McGabry Prison, which was a few years ago ranked as probably one of the worst in the country. It was only a few miles up the road from where I lived, and about a quarter of the people that were in McGabry Prison had mental health issues, and these were all really exacerbated by the prison conditions and the overcrowding they're making a bad condition mental health wise even worse so is there no uh, alternative uh, for for patients or for uh, people that have been convicted of crimes uh, to put them that is not into a prison setting some type of a halfway home or is it just either prison or nothing that depends where you live to be honest it's what's available in the community and it is very much a postcode lottery in terms of what's available in a particular area so 
Some people might be able to access support if they live in, in a big city, for example, but if they live in a, in a more rural setting or if, if services are overloaded, then they might end up in, in prison after all. And that's one of the one of the frustrations really is that um, if someone is trying to access um, a bed in a mental health setting in, in the community, um, when those services fill up, then people are turned away. Prisons can't turn people away. They don't have that that option. Um, so what we end up with is people in prison who really shouldn't be there, but the prisons don't have any choice but to take them, nor are they staffed or, or resourced to support that kind of issue. So it is a, a very, very difficult situation, both for the people who need the support and for the people who are trying to provide it. Uh, me, me and Rick have often talked on this show about getting to the root of the problem. Um, I kind of heard you said earlier that it's the problems in the community. So rather than just addressing problems in prison, do you think there needs to be uh, more uh, influence on communities, uh, youth projects, uh, you know, keeping people out of crime in the first place? Certainly when I've um, been asked about um, prevention of crime and so on, it's, it's I don't see it as a criminal justice issue. I think people, once people reach the criminal justice system, so many other systems have already failed. Um, so that in terms of, of providing, um, you know, taking people out of poverty, providing decent housing, making sure people are remaining um, connected in, within schools, providing family support, dealing with family conflict, dealing with trauma and uh, mental Ill health and substance misuse and all of these things that are connected before they ever get into the justice process. So by the time they, they reach the criminal justice system, so many other problems have already already taken place. We're seeing very, very high levels of, of trauma. And we know from the research into, into childhood trauma and adversity that that can have longstanding impacts. And if that's not addressed and supported from very, very early on, then we are going to see these problems escalating. And is there a place in prison for those to be addressed once they get there, uh, like to address that childhood trauma or any type of therapy within the prison system? Or is that something that's not available at the moment? I think prisons try. But as we've already talked about, the numbers of, of people who are in prisons, the, the levels of overcrowding, the fact that a lot of people are in and out of prison very, very quickly, particularly if you're on remand, if you've not actually been convicted of anything yet, which is certainly in Scotland, about a third of the prison population hasn't actually been convicted yet. Um, so they'll be in prison for very short periods of time. And these are long-standing problems. These are types of issues that take a long time to address. Um, and the prisons are simply not resourced or, or designed to, to deal with that sort of issue. They can provide support for a small number of people, but certainly not for the proportion who actually need it. Okay, thank you ever so much for your time, Nancy. We really appreciate it here on TNT. Uh, we've run out of time, so we've got to go to the headlines uh, now. But uh, we'll we'll keep an update on this story here and see uh, what comes out of this fatal accident inquiry. Uh, don't go away. Uh, we've got uh, Howard Cox after uh, the headlines here at today's News Talk. Turn on the news. News, 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 flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Former President Donald Trump will know by the end of the month whether he'll be forced to sell buildings that bear his name in New York as the state's civil fraud trial against him wraps up. A trial date has been set for the US President's son, Hunter Biden, who stands accused of tax evasion. He pleaded not guilty to nine charges on Thursday. And there were spectacular scenes off the coast of China on Thursday as the country launched the world's most powerful solid-fueled rocket into space. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. 
Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Okay, we're joined for the first time here on Open Line by none other than Mr. Hard Cox. Hard is the founder of Fair Fuel UK campaign. He has stopped two hundred billion pounds worth of government tax hikes. I might uh, have a word with you after the show. I have a big tax bill coming up at the end of this month. You might be able to do something <laughs> for me as well, Hard. And he's also running. He's also running for Lord Mayor uh, of London in 2024 so we've got a short time here together on the show i want to find out a little bit more about you and why on earth people would want you as lord mayor of london instead of the fantastic and incredible and the amazing sadiq khan so tell us about yourself yeah that's one thing i'll go correct it's not lord mayor that's the ceremonial position which is unelected uh-huh. Uh, the the elected position is just unfortunately just London Mayor. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I'll answer your question. Well, it, it, I'm not a politician. I'm a public affairs campaign. As I say, I've been campaigning for the motorists for the last 15 years, um, and we've managed to get the uh, fuel duty frozen that time. In fact, in that time, there's a 6p cut we've had. But uh, 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 we would be paying something like about 50p to a pound more for petrol and diesel if it wasn't for the campaign. And and I've got a lot of respect from uh, backbench Tory MPs. And it's funny how they're coming to see me a lot now because there's an election year and I've got 1.7 million supporters. It's funny how I've suddenly become even more popular. But anyway, the, the reason why I'm standing in London, I was approached by Richard Tice, head of Reform UK, and a certain person you may have heard of called Nigel Farage. And mm. uh, he, bless his cotton socks, and they all said, look, Howard, how would you like to stand? You're a, a big motorist champion. And the, the biggest issue in London at the time, uh, you know, or it still is, is ULES, the ultra low emission zone and the expansion into the uh, greater London area. And I, it took me three months to say, yes, I'll do it uh, because I, I wanted to stay, remain apolitical. But uh, I voted Tory for 50 years of my life. Um, I'm 70 this year. And, and you know, there's absolutely no way that uh, this party, this Tory party is Tories. It's just Tory in name only. Um, so uh, they're not going to beat to uh, uh, really give what the certainly drivers and certainly the hard press, uh, uh, hard working Londoners uh, either. And uh, so I knew that the uh, the Tory opposition against Sadiq Khan in in the, in the General Assembly, uh, it's just not up to scratch. Uh, they've allowed Sadiq Khan to get away for eight years with, uh, and I'm going to use the phrase, um, and it, you may say I shouldn't say, it, he's a pathological liar. Uh, he's actually done things that, you know, he's manipulated public consultation agreements uh, 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 and he's also uh, used data that is wrong. He's, he has lied about what is happening in London, about knife crime. We can go on forever and ever and ever a day. And so I, I, I sat down with my wife, we thought about it, and I said, well, it looks as though they want me to do this. And I, I'm delighted to say that, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of pop. I'm around about 10 to 15% in the polls at the moment from a standing start. Um, it's a long, it's, a, it's a, an Everest of a climb to win, uh, but I'm going to give a few bloody noses on the way. Good, good. I noticed um, three of the things uh, that you were uh, putting forward, you know, you've obviously got a detailed manifesto about, you know, what you want to do and what you want to accomplish, but in bullet point form, Natalie, here, I can see scrap Ule, so you get a big tick from that one, uh, cut crime, another big tick for that one, and ditch Khan, another big tick. Just how much of a blight, because Natalie, you and I have been talking about Sadiq Khan on and off, you know, since we started doing TNT. He tells us one thing, but the reality is something different. For example, knife crime in London, London's a safe place, London this, 
London that it seems to be everything that he says London is the opposite is actually the case uh, what do you reckon that uh, ditching can we can't we can't say that's a bad thing can we I, I would say I agree with Howard as well I think he's a pathological liar um <laughs> The climate change, um, the climate change stuff that he's pushing, uh, and air pollution in London. But then he was happy to have a a massive New Year's fireworks and put his name in the sky. Well, surely that affected uh, some air pollution there. But it doesn't seem to matter if he got his own uh, publicity with it, did it, Howard? No, and he charged twenty pounds for a hundred thousand people with the privilege of seeing his name in lights. <laughs> uh, you're, you're absolutely right. He could have done that with laser beams and multimedia. He didn't have to have uh, polluting fireworks. And let's get this clear: I want a clean London. I want a green London. I want as best possible London we can get in terms of air quality. But we are already the twelfth cleanest city in the world. What you know by hitting people in the pocket by you know charging them twelve pound fifty. Let me give you an example of a. Uh, I've got loads of these things, but one particular example of a. Of, of a midwife who works, worked in St Thomas's Hospital who did shift work, so she straddled the midnight time. She had to pay two congestion charges and two ULEZs, and that cost £56, and she was only paid about nearly 80 quid for the actual shift. So she's left that profession because she can't afford it. Her car was a perfectly MOT'd Peugeot little thing, 1-0, whatever it was, and it did 60 to the gallon. It's passed its MOT, passed its smoke test, which passed MOT, but it doesn't pass Saudi Khan's cash-grabbing uh, standards uh, for, for cars. And, you know, th this man has got to go. And, uh, you know, I'm sometimes accused, and quite a lot, of that I'm going to be spitting the anti-Khan vote because, you know, uh, you know the, the Tories, Susan Hall's standing there. But she's been in power, or opposite him in power, for eight years, and they've, haven't allowed, they've allowed him to get away with it. Um, and they could have taken him to court legal actions for these lies and for his manipulation of data, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they haven't done it. So that's why I'm standing. Someone's got to get in there and give him a severe kicking. <laughs> Metaphorically, of course, because you oh, know, oh, we don't. Have, well, we don't yes, when we say off with his head, you know, we don't really mean it, do we? No. Boom, boom. Not, but, not uh, with knife you, crime you, in London as well. So. Yeah, not with knife <laughs> exactly, crime. But however. Exactly. What, one other thing, just uh, as we draw this to a close, hard. Um, it's not just you know. It's it, there is a war on on just about everyone living in London at the minute uh, on behalf of City Cam, but the motorists in particular are getting it pretty yeah. tight. Ulez is the one thing that people hear about first and foremost, but that's not the only problem that motorists have, especially in central London. There's congestion charges, there's toll charges, and if you don't pay that, you lay as fine within a certain time. It actually starts to ramp up. So that $12.50, that's only a, a, that's the bottom line figure for you last charge. If you're not uh, prompt with your payments in that, that starts to ratchet up and then you start to accumulate them over time. So uh, I think uh, a lot of people aren't aware that there's layers of charges that are being applied uh, to London motorists at the minute. It's not just a ULEZ charge. Well, well, absolutely, and uh, we haven't got much time, but just to summarise what I'm standing for, yes, I'm getting rid of ULES, but I'm getting rid of all ULES, not just the extension. The whole of ULES will go uh, from day one if I'm in office. I want to get rid of local traffic networks, 20-mile-an-hour zones, speed bumps, pinch points, uh, floating bus stops, uh, things like that, reduce the size of the HGV or truck-sized uh, cycle lanes, those sorts of things. We've got to get London moving in. One of the things that other candidates haven't done, and I've done it at personal expense. I, uh, the CEBR, Centre of Economic Business Research, I commissioned them to say, what has ULES done to the GDP, the economy of London? And they found out that something approaching uh, £1 billion per year is being lost because of ULES. And that's measured on, on plumbers not coming into London, carpenters not coming into London, all those sorts of things. So this 
cash grabbing thing. And that's all it is because to pay off his massive black hole of a debt because he's a net financial manager as well, is the reason why I'm standing. So we've got to get sanity back. I'm not in this for any vanity process. I want to get London back to its prosperous position it should have been. And you know what? I'm, and I say this with absolute nothing but respect to you, but you just said that you're turning 70 this year. You know, there's got to be better things than you, you could be doing or more <laughs> less stressful things that you could be doing, like out weeding the garden. And you know what? I'm 50 this year and I'm starting to become attracted to my garden. I'm starting to understand why old people like to be in the garden now. So I say that with nothing but respect to you. There's got to be better things you could be doing. I don't think you're doing this for the fame, the fortune or the money. I think you have a passion for this. And uh, hopefully as the year progresses you said about uh, climbing Everest and let's remind ourselves Everest is climbable it is climbable you might need a few Sherpas and an oxygen tank on your back but damn it we'll try and uh, help you up uh, up to the summit this year just before we go very very briefly is there a place we can uh, people can go and contact you do you have a website or where's the best place to find out about what you're all about just real quick well, it, to find out what I'm really about is go to the Reform UK uh, website and the Cox for London site, mm -hmm. Cox with a number four, london.co.uk, uh, uh, and that way. And also get me on Twitter on Howard C. Cox. That's Howard C.C.O.X. Well, there you go. So if you're listening in, especially if you're a Londoner, uh, check uh, hard out. And of course, uh, whenever push comes to shove, I don't think, you know, certainly he couldn't be any worse than uh, the current uh, city can. <laughs> and like you said, let's no. hope he gets stitched hard. We've got to go. But hopefully as this uh, year progresses and your campaign continues, we'll get you back for a few updates. It's been an absolute blast talking to you this morning. Uh, so I hope you have a great weekend. That's hard. Good Cox luck, Howard. Running. Yeah, Thank you very much. Indeed running for Mayor of London, not Lord Mayor of London, and hopefully we'll talk to him again sooner rather than later. We've got to take a little break right now, and when we come back, we've got Ben from Chasing Descent, hopefully, so stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's news talk. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle, but MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. AMDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today.
If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Welcome back to the show. We've got Ben from Chasing Descent here. We had his co-host on earlier in the week, so we couldn't leave him out. He's a broadcaster. He says he likes to talk a lot and uh, he's autistic and opinionated. You sound just like me, Ben. How are you today? I'm very well. And you know me from from the last few years anyway, and you've been on our show and... uh, You know, you know that that's accurate, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The last time I was on your show, it was like uh, people saying, wow, two autistic people just shouting, <laughs> shouting at each other over their opinions. Uh, so uh, that's what you've got to look forward to for the next 10 minutes. Uh, we're yeah. here to discuss uh, Keir Starmer and Wes Streeting. They've been talking about their new policies that they want put in place for children. And they've been accused of uh, wanting a nanny state. Uh, The one that we've already discussed before on the show, Rick, was the toothbrush one. So they Mm. want supervised toothbrushing for three to five year olds. Uh, What do you reckon, Ben? With all the problems going on in the UK at the moment, is that something we should all really be pushing and concerned about? Toothbrushing for children? Well, well, no, because hopefully we as parents are able to teach our children to do that for, for themselves, first of all. And also, it's kind of an indictment of parents, isn't it? It's saying to parents, no, you don't have the ability to do that. We we will do it for you. We are your daddy government. We are here and we will give you a helping hand. It's those words, isn't it? We're from the government and we're here to help. Yes, <laughs> no. Absolutely. It's like we should be encouraging parental responsibility, right? We should be encouraging people uh, to be be good parents because they want to be. But it's like they're almost saying you need the government to come and help you. You need you need us to make decisions for you. You're not capable of being a good parent yourself. Well, it's not only that. I find the whole thing ironic in so much as it's Tories accusing Labour of wanting a nanny state when all they've done together over the past three to five years especially is create the biggest nanny state we've ever had it's it's the pot calling the kettle as they say yeah and uh, uh Kerr Starmer said healthy happy children is not a, a nice it's a basic right with economic urgency well it's funny because he was pushing the lockdowns even further than the Tories wasn't mm. he he didn't he didn't seem to care at the time about children then but suddenly you know brushing their teeth will solve all their problems don't worry about taking their schooling away from them for for, mm. for years no no of course not because we know it's not about brushing their teeth, don't we? We know it's about getting them used to, it's getting the next generation used to more oversight, used to more control, uh, used to something that we, I think, unless something is done, are gonna. we're going to be the last generation that saw any semblance of freedom. I'm not sure what we had was freedom, um, but it's just going further and further along the line especially the last three to five years have really shown governments the world over how far they can push people. And it it is quite frightening. And it, it is also frightening when we try and have these conversations, especially on mainstream platforms, and we are just censored for even having these ideas, for having these opinions. And I don't think that they're very controversial. 
no, they're, they're, I, I would absolutely agree with you. Uh, Rick, do you think it's going to change change the country? Toothbrushing, I think they said they're taking away ads for vaping and, and introducing a 9pm watershed. Uh, do you think that's going to solve all the children's problems? Well, it's not. And, you know, uh, Ben, we, 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 we've been following what's been going on, a little diversion here in Wales. And I think right. if you talk about patronisation and you talk about the nanny state, I think Mark Drakeford was doing his level best uh, to introduce the most patronising most nannied place to live on planet earth you know the introduction oh, yeah. of that 20 miles per hour speed limit even though half a million people protested against it he said listen you know the world is uh getting flooded uh people are blood boiling with climate change 20 <laughs> miles per hour is not a big ask for you people to do there's more important things to worry about and famously uh, you know when you go for a meal deal in sainsbury's uh he wanted yeah. to separate the crisps uh the fizzy drinks and the sandwiches so that if you want to get a meal deal you couldn't just lift them all together you had to go from aisle to aisle to try and keep you alive a little bit longer because of course that's going to preserve your health wait wait In fact, wait, wait. You know, yeah i so sorry to interrupt you but that's going to preserve your health but what's also going to preserve your health is when mark drakeford closes off the toy aisles closes off yeah. the clothing aisles clo closes off a load of aisles and says you can't go down that aisle because that's going to preserve your health Oh man, this this man, like you say, he's a patronizing idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's gone. He's gone now. But his yeah. his replacement doesn't look like like everyone. Listen, I haven't seen anybody that's been replaced by anybody better. And this year coming up in the twenty twenty four in the UK, it's going to be a big year for elections, of course. And you're, yeah. we're talking about Keir Starmer, who looks like to be the de facto shoe in uh, as the next prime minister actually elected that is at least uh in inverted commas because sunak isn't elected trust wasn't elected so i think nope. we're going to be bracing ourselves for stormer to come in can we expect to see drakeford-esque levels of patronization in 2024 if stormer uh, gets the keys to number 10 oh yeah son of a toolmaker keith he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna patronize us all the way to the hilt but then you have to ask the question is anything really going to change and certainly not for the better but we've been calling them on our show the uniparty for god knows how long we call them red 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 tories and blue labor we call them the purple party because they just seem to back each other up completely on fundamental issues which erode our freedoms erode our rights just little by little i call it and um, use the phrase death by a thousand cuts and that's what's been going on here um it's nothing's going to get better you vote for one party you vote for the other party whatever underlying agenda there is it it rolls on regardless and we all end up worse off for it yeah and uh we're all laughing about the toothbrush uh, policy but the thing is it starts with toothbrushes doesn't it ben but where can yep. it go from then if they if they put and they roll that out what's Blossing. the next thing going to be Blossing. it's just three weeks <laughs> it's just three weeks yeah it's just your teeth it's just your teeth <laughs> what next blowing your nose cleaning out your ears washing your neck every morning where does where will this end it's just a curfew it's just an ankle bracelet 
exactly. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, um, if you start with toothbrushing, for me, there's a possibility. You know, they've been trying to push the jabs. Is it then that they will they will be in school and then they have to push this type of medication as well? You know, it, it's, yeah, of course. It's, it's that you know that to me is the worry. If so many parents allow it and don't stand up, because you could just say, oh, no, I don't want my child be a toothbrush. So if, They've had their they teeth brushed before they come up. Exactly. And now if yes. enough people did that, that's the way to go, isn't it? I mean, my wife actually has an alarm on her phone that goes off at, for the evening, 7.30 every night. It goes off for the children to go and brush their teeth before bed. And it's it's just little things like that that parents can do. We don't need Keith, son of a toolmaker, <laughs> telling us how to get our kids to brush their damn teeth. We really don't. Yeah, and, and this is... It would be interesting if we could actually get a hold of Keir Starmer's dental records from somewhere, uh, maybe his dentist listening in here, just to find out, does he have any fillings? Uh, does he have any cavities being filled in recently? Because, of course, we would expect with Keir dispensing uh, dental hygiene information to uh, the British public at the minute, you would expect him to have an immaculate set of gnashers in that yeah. thick skull of his, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, I I'm not one to talk Um I've, I've destroyed my dental hygiene with fizzy drinks over the years, and now I can't get an NHS dentist. Maybe we should actually focus on uh, the millions of people currently not able to get a dentist mm. rather than forcing kids to brush their teeth with teacher supervision. Even the teachers unions for once have stepped in and said, this is dumb. This is stupid. Yeah. And it's not our place as teachers to, to supervise kids brushing their teeth. It's our place as teachers to indoctrinate them. I mean, teach them. <laughs> yeah. um, I know you've done the maths for this before. They're also saying they're going to have an extra 700,000 dentist appointments in the UK. Uh, but, I, but if you actually work out how many appointments that is compared to how many million people there are, that doesn't really go very far, does it? And they're saying they're all going to go to kids. So all of the adults that need urgent dentistry <laughs> are still not going to get it, of course. But I, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that at all. What, what I am opposed to is nanny state going, do this, do that, do that. I'm a very small government type of person. I think they should back off out of our lives. I thought that the primary aim of government was to protect the people. And that certainly doesn't seem to be the case anymore. As, as they just start a, a, a war, another war today as well. It's for um, your safety. <laughs> for our protection for our safety as long as those kids get their teeth brushed we're all going to be safe that's 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 the way we need to go move forward that is the uk uh, today but thank you ben it's been a blast as always uh we'll yep. have you back on the show soon i'm sure uh if, if, if you'll come ben if uh but yeah i uh, like to talk yeah, always. Uh, so, um, yeah, we've got now uh, to say goodbye to Ben and we're going to discuss a few more news stories if we've got the time here before we go. And remember, you can call in as well to tell us your thoughts. So, Rick, what do you want to start with now? Uh, basically, uh, it's interesting there whenever we were talking with Ben about this uh, for your safety and, you know, the, the nine words that you never want to hear someone say is I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. That's what uh, Ronnie Reagan famously said as well. I find it hard to believe that so many people are actually buying into this uh, mentality, Natalie. You know, when we talk about teeth brushing, you think this is insane, this is crazy and it is a little bit tongue in cheek. But you also got to remember, uh, I'm still seeing stickers on the ground with footprints on them that, you know, 
shops were telling people to stay two meters apart or follow a one-way system around a public park just you know to prevent COVID. and you know what natalie there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people doing it they're trying to reintroduce mask mandates now into healthcare settings and uh, settings in some places in the uk and spain all hospitals and uh pharma or health centers now you have to be masked up in it so you would have thought as much as those years were mad from 2020 onwards it's coming back again and there are people that are actually complying with it and there are people that will sit and listen to the like of Keir Stormer or listen to the like of Mark Drakeford and nod their heads and say, you know what, maybe he's got a point. If I drive at 20 miles an hour, I will save lives. And as long as there's a mass of people doing that, I think it's going to be very hard uh, to break out of this completely, but certainly more and more people are getting hacked off. Fear controls us all and some people are more scared than others and we saw that in in covid and so it will be those people the ones uh that can that could be scared scared to death that will listen and some people actually don't want to take control of their lives they are scared of taking responsibility because that comes with a lot of choices to make and it's easier for somebody else to make choices for them rick and and we saw that again with covid um and it took me a while to understand that because i'm someone that doesn't like to be told what to do and i tend to do the opposite it when somebody asked me but there are a lot of people that are the other way you know it is govern me harder it's like you mm -hmm. know it, it, they, they like to be told what to do they feel safe uh so you know you're not going to get away from that and there are always going to be people out there like that there are there's one last story i think we should cover off before uh the end of this week i've been meaning to do it as uh, something close to your heart uh, in reading there was a young lad who was uh, stabbed to death in reading ollie uh, stevens uh, grieving dad welcomes the address elba knife campaign just as we're up this one up for this week natalie uh, let's tell us a bit, little bit about this kid that was stabbed to death yeah i i, I knew ollie um he was a very he's a, he was a lovely boy he was very good good to my two children um you know he got involved with the wrong with the kind of wrong people uh as as we've said the root of the problem um and yeah he was uh he was stabbed to death uh by two other people who are about the same age i think they were 14 and 13 he was only uh 13 himself i mean it's so young um and uh yeah his dad is highlighting that he, he wants to try and get rid of these so-called zombie knives i didn't even know what they were i had to look them up it's terrible that they're even sold to be honest zombie knives are defined as weapons that have a cutting edge a serrated edge and images or words suggesting they are used for violence now do i think that getting rid of these zombie knives will take away knife crime no i think a lot of people just take a kitchen knife out unfortunately as self-defense but do i think that they should be sold Absolutely not. You know, they, they, they look, some of them are like machetes. They've got kill written all over them. They're, they're, they look, they're supposed to be fashionable. So I'm with him here, um, you know, and it's peace of mind for those for those people and, you know, who have been bereaved from knife crime. There is no way these zombie knives should be sold anyway, you know, and, uh, and I know that the, the knife that was used for Ollie was of, of a similar similar type to this, I believe. Yeah, you make a very good point there that uh, simply, uh, you know, eliminating zombie knives, somebody could go into the kitchen, take a bread knife or, you know, a, a carving knife and go out and do the same thing. But I think you also make a good point there that these knives glamorize knives okay. themselves and also glamorize violence because they have these uh you know horrific slogans written on them like kill or maim 
on the knife itself. And of course, for gang type people, this is going to look like a badge of honor if you can whip one of these zombie knives out uh, in your uh, in your knife battle. You remember that uh, film Crocodile Dundee, the Australian uh, Paul Hogan was in it. You know, he, somebody yeah. tries to mug him in the subway and he says, uh, uh, he's got a knife and then he whips out this, you know, nine inch blade from his back and he says, nah, that's a knife, that's a knife. So yeah, <laughs> there's this mentality as, you yes. know, I've got a knife, but my knife is bigger than your knife. And unfortunately, that becomes attractive uh, to kids. No kid's going to go out and say, here, I want to buy a bread knife from, you know, B&Q. But if a zombie knife's on sale with kill written up the handle, that's going to be infinitely more attractive. Uh, absolutely. And they're, they've been uh, aimed at and designed for kind of gang type behavior. Uh, they look exceptionally scary and they're going to give that, that kind of... Um, that, that are, are, I'm the best person in the gang type type attitude. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I don't think these should be sold. No, and indeed. So stop selling them for crying out loud. And if you're a retailer and you're listening in here at the minute, stop profiting off young people potentially going out and uh, you know glamorizing knife violence for crying out loud. It's not worth it. No profit is worth that. So Natalie, we've got to wrap it up here uh, for this week. Unbelievable. Another week has passed by. That's Natalie Cheel. I'm Rick Bunn. And we will be back on Monday, 9 a.m. sharp UK time for more Open Line. I'll be back after the news with Locked and Loaded and three more guests coming up, plus Gemma so stay tuned for more magic here on the one and only TNT. Today.